to The B-Sides, a podcast for progressives who love pop music. We're your hosts. I'm Hannah. I'm Mimi. And I'm Becky. Tune in for new episodes every other Wednesday to hear our conversations on pop's place in our world. And the music you should put in your ears to fuel your reckoning with the trash fires all around us. Thanks for tuning in. Here we go. Welcome back, everyone. What's up? Hi. Hello. Hello. Hey. Before we get into this episode, subscribe if you haven't already, because subscribing makes it way easier to keep up with us. Um, And you can open up the description of this episode or any episode, really, to find other ways to join this internet home. We love that. Welcome to our internet home. Wipe your feet. Take your shoes off, please. Whatever the internet equivalent is of taking your shoes off when you come in. What is it? I think it's um reading the entire post before responding. Right? Yeah. Something like that. Just like a way of showing courtesy. Yeah. And also, and like where you put your shoes is like also reading the comments that came before. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. We figured it out. Anyway, uh, let's get into... <laughs> our topic for this episode. Let's. Before we do, or as as sort of a bridge, in episode 38 of this podcast, which we, we recorded last month, we talked about what constitutes a flop album or era, the taxonomy of it all, how the individual flopping that we ascribe to an artist often actually says more about the cultural moment we're in. And we did this through the lens of Lady Gaga's Art Pop and Mariah Carey's Glitter, a.k.a. Art Flop and Glitter Bum. If you're a hater, which we are not, and you can listen to that episode to learn more specifically why. Today's episode is sort of a flops part two. It's a story of what happens when pop stars reinvent themselves for a new era of their career But instead of a natural evolution or next step, it seems forced and does not go well. It's the type of move that's a double-edged sword in a way. It can really elevate an artist's career, help them grow and express themselves in new ways, and even change the direction of pop music. But it can also usher them into flophood. Uh, We can trace the trend of pop star reinvention, at least back to Madonna, who really was the blueprint and seem to have a lot of fun trying on different identities and shopping different eras over the last literal 40 years. Um, She's not the only artist who's reinvented themselves or even from that time, but that sort of level of pop star and at that level of uh, ubiquity, like she really made that a, a major trend. And maybe in part because she's a legacy artist with a massive effect on the music industry, many other artists have also been compelled to transform every few years. Um, I think, you know, any of the big names, you can you can look at them and you can look at their discography and just their aesthetics and you can see it. There are a lot of variables at play that can determine whether or not these pivots are successful, but often there's just sort of an it factor of like, does it seem genuine? You know, it's not, it's not always super tangible. Um, and then we have to ask why or why not? 
So this is topical as we record here in late October, aka Halloween Town, because the flop eras we're talking about today involve artists who felt compelled to enter eras and try on identities that are at least aesthetically creepy, I would say. Um, so the alleged flop eras and albums we're going to look at today are Bionic by Christina Aguilera and Witness by Katy Perry. Two albums that have weirdly similar and scary cover art for reasons I still don't understand. Do you guys have any thoughts if I put you on the spot about the, the cover art before we get into these albums? I think it's like pretty standard, not that creative. So I'm not surprised where it's like you're like trying to reinvent yourself type photo, uh, half, half person, half robot or not robot, but it looks like a robot type style. Did they have, we don't happen to know if they had the same producer or someone work on the albums that are the same, do we? I don't know. I don't think so. I'm sure they had some people, they both have Nicki Minaj features, but in terms of like actually working on the art or that side of things, I don't think so, but I'm not sure. I feel like they're both. And I feel like these, the, the songs are similar that both album covers are like a little grotesque on purpose. And I think they think they're making a little bit of a, of course, a, a statement artistically, and I'm, I'm not so sure that they are making super profound statements, but I certainly having listened to some of Bionic and all of Witness, I actually, I, I think that the cover arts, the cover arts like do what they're supposed to do. I think they map on with the, with the art and like make sense, but they're just, it's, it is very, very funny that they're so similar that like the white background and the like, you know, front on silhouette of this pop star, but like, up. Oh, She's not who you think she is. Like something's a little different this time. Very spooky. Yeah. And we, we actually decided to look at these albums together before we realized how similar they are, which maybe means like subconsciously we knew, but I'm not sure. All right. So let's start with Bionic. If, if we can, if we will. Um, I don't, I don't think this album means like, I don't, I don't think this is really on any of our radars really in a big way when it came out, which is 2010. So, but of course we are all very familiar with Christina Aguilera, like everyone else who is alive and our age and grew up in the United States probably. Um, But let's give a little background before we get into talking about this album and and why it was kind of like a strange reinvention and flap. Okay, so a little background on Christina and her music career that I'm sure a lot of people listening already know, which is that she came out of this Mickey Mouse Club moment in the late 90s into the into this like late 90s teen pop world, same world as Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, all of these people and was sort of pushed into being an alt Britney from the start of her career so she got into the pop star reinvention game early on like she was not being Britney wasn't didn't make sense for her and in fact probably everyone who they tried to like pigeonhole into that um 
And so she got into reinvention and then she did it kind of every few years leading up to Bionic pretty successfully, I would say. Even if the music wasn't for me, I was like, this is still like, people are receiving this well. What's interesting is that none of her albums are critically acclaimed. And I think that's, I think that's because all of them have a lot of filler songs for reasons I don't understand. I don't know why she, she releases not very often. And then when she does, she has like some great songs probably on every album. And then a lot of additional ones that, that make the albums like over an hour long. And it's like, you don't need to do that, but. I think something also about Christina that separates her from other artists is that she really does have a really incredible voice. Like I think of her up there with like Ariana Grande and like Mariah Carey style uh, voice that maybe her songs also end up being longer just because she has a lot of runs or she has a lot of like moments in time where she like really, it's like about her voice, less so about the music, which though we'll talk about Bionic, the music is just not, her voice can't make up for how bad these songs are. That's so true. Yeah, she really just does have, she has maybe the most distinctive voice I can think of. So yeah, it's, I mean, it is, it's interesting how she reinvents herself, but also it's like her voice is her voice and it's very distinctive and it hasn't changed really in 20 years. So, um, so yeah, and I mean, part of that, like Becky saying, she does have this really, really distinctive voice. She does have a lot of talent and she was really commercially successful before Bionic and had a lot of hits. Um, I, do you feel that she oversings a fair amount, but that's an opinion. And um, I, I think the, the cohesiveness of her voice and like the consistency has made a lot of the transformations that she's made in genre and aesthetics still feel cohesive, at least for the first 10 years of her career, which we'll talk about. And then came Bionic. So Bionic is Christina's sixth, studio album released in June 2010 and it has a pretty major cult following not unlike some of the flops we've talked about before art pop glitter um but it's also considered a flop by comparison to her other albums in two major ways one is something we talked about before in terms of numbers it's her first album to not go platinum and she hasn't had a platinum album since numbers aren't everything Her first five albums were released between 1999 and 2006, which is a different time for album buying. And also like, it's not a direct line between how many album, how many, uh, what the numbers say in terms of, you know, streaming or or purchasing and cultural impacts, but it was a flop by comparison creatively as well. Like this reinvention with Bionic didn't sit well with a lot of people and the the main piece of it is that it seemed like she was copying Lady Gaga in this era who was like in this midst of a meteoric rise with the fame and the fame monster to such an extent that the aesthetic similarities went beyond like she's inspired by her and into sort of just stealing and you know we could debate how how true that is I don't know that it matters like Paris Hilton was involved and like bullying her as well so there's a lot going on there but something to think about so 
this album came out on the heels of Christina celebrating a full decade as a pop star with a commemorative greatest hits release called Keeps Getting Better, a decade of hits. Um, It had new versions of her hit songs from her self-titled album, her stripped album, Back to Basics. Good stuff. I think it's her way of being like, I am a legacy artist now, which is something that is also hard to pivot to, I think. I don't know. So if you paid attention to those previous albums and the truly distinct vibe of each era, you know that Christina really has been reinventing her sound and image for a long time already. 1999, her first album, like we said, was mostly teen pop um, with, you know, music execs trying to make her fit this Britney mold, which is not her gig. And then she came out with Stripped in 2002, and she had this creative control for the first time, and it showed. Were you guys at all aware of this album when it came out at the time? I know we were. Stripped, yes. Children, yes. Dirty. Too dirty to clean my act up. (laughs) I feel like yeah. that was the first album where I was like, is this porn? When I was like 10. <laughs> and I was like, am I horny from this album? Wait, me too. I was like, I'm confused by what I was really confused by the direction from being like a 10 year old. Yeah. And seeing the music videos, I was like, what has happened in three years? I didn't remember until we were preparing for this episode that this is, of course, I mean, if I had thought about it for five seconds, I would have remembered that this is the same era as Fighter and Beautiful. And though, I mean, those are just like Fighter, Beautiful and Dirty are amazing songs. They are like, they really show different sides of a like real human person who's also a superstar. Like it's everything you want out of, out of someone. And uh, I did uh, rewatch the, the Fighter music video. Actually, I should say, watch the Fighter music video. I don't think I'd ever seen those visuals before. So 2002, but like in the best, the way that like, it's kind of like punky and it's like, look at us learning about CGI and, and green screens. I loved it. I think this is a really great, great era for her. I definitely think so. I think again, it's, this is an album where she had, much more creative control. Like I said, like she had her and she's like 22 or something. So she's still like really figuring out who she is, but she has these like R and B influences that you hear in her voice. Anyway, she has a lot of genres in the mix. I forget that fighter is like, I don't know. There's like almost like an evanescence moment to it. Um, I saw that too. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Um, she is much more explicit. She's singing about self-respect, like literally nonstop, which is funny to me, but it's also like iconic. Um, it's, it's a really impactful album and it also had a lot of filler songs. And I think that sort of brings it down a little bit. Becky, would you like to read? I'm, I'm asking Becky to read all of the Christina quotes that I have in here. Uh, Do you want to read what she said about stripped to MTV in 2002? I feel like, (laughs) sorry, I was trying to do her runs, but I can't sing. I like it. I feel like it is a new beginning, a reintroduction of myself as a new artist in a way, 
because for the first time, people are really seeing and getting to know who I, who I really am. I got a chance to show off all these colors and textures of my love of music and my vocal range. Coming off of the height of being a part of such a big pop craze phenomenon, that imagery of that cookie cutter sweetheart without it being me, I just had to take it all down and get it away from me. And that's why I actually named the album Stripped because it's about being emotionally stripped down and pretty bare to open my soul and heart. I, to me, like it seemed, that seemed really genuine. That seemed like a really genuine transformation and a break from this like huge teen pop machine, which is very powerful. Um, Even if it was chaotic, it was chaotic. It was metal. There were ballads, like beautiful. Um, We can't like the difference between dirty and genie in a bottle is is huge you know her alter ego Xtina was born and I've referred to her as that ever since so this was like she started coming in with alter egos and this first one is Xtina and we love it beautiful beautiful was also a big deal at the time because of representation in a pop music moment of a trans person and gay people like being having emotionally complex stories play out on screen like that you know something that of course then Katy Perry did a version of uh you know 10 years later with firework or you know that kind of thing was was replicated a lot in the years after but that was that was big and Christina did that early on in her career before yeah in a, in a way that was like actually I think showed a really strong um like really showed that she has strong values yeah Absolutely. Yeah. That music video was like hugely, hugely impactful. And I remember seeing it at the time and being like, I've never seen this before. Also, I was 10. So whatever. Um, But I think a lot of older people were probably having those same thoughts to some degree. Okay. So four years go by and then we have Christina's, she's planning her next major pivot. And that comes in 2006 with back to basics so at this point she had escaped the teen pop craze she had come out with stripped she had some other albums she did like a christmas album some other things like that and now she she's ready to go back and and kind of pay tribute to the artists who inspired her to sing in the sort of soulful bluesy way that she loves to sing Okay, so Becky, if you will again, here's what she said to Billboard at the time. My vision for this record was to go back to old blues, jazz, and soul music, a music that I love and inspired by wholeheartedly and combined that with the visuals of some of the best era, I think, with the throwback to the Hollywood glam, that kind of retro pinup style and sexuality. You know, I thought the 20s, the 30s, the 40s were such interesting elements to combine with the feel, look, and sound. I wanted to get at, to put on my red lipstick and do up my blonde hair sometimes just to get into that saucy mode or that Hollywood glam kind of effect. I would surround myself with that old imagery of your Billy holidays and your Pearl Bailey's and your people like that. I would have these tear sheets, pictures of even Louis Armstrong and Coltrane and Miles Davis and all these amazing jazz musicians. I just wanted to get into that heart and soul of the music. Literally. She loves literally. And I guess the best way to describe it, what actors call method acting is kind of like my way of method singing in a way. I don't fully understand 
what she's saying there, but I, but it still seems to come from a genuine place. And I do know that she has this background where she really studied a lot of these people who came before her. It's not my favorite album. It's still too long for no discernible reason, but it is innovative and retro, just like her kind of vocal style anyway. It's different, but it's still accessible. Um, so yeah, do you guys remember this album coming out when we were in high school or any of the the videos or anything like that? I remember the videos more than anything. I can like picture her with her red lipstick and her hair like that. Is that what that album has the um uh oh my god, this song plays so often in Peloton. They love it. Um uh, you know what I mean? It's like the one song she likes sings with other people. Candyman. Candyman. Um, yeah, that is on this album. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That song, that song is <laughs> absurd. Yeah. Hannah's doing the gestures and snapping. It's like that song, Ain't No Other Man Hurt, which is a ballad, but it's still very like the music video is very uh, there's like a circus. It's very of that era in a in a weird way. But yeah, this is this is that era and it's she adopts a new persona for this era called Baby Jane and it was very weird to me. Like I didn't connect with this album at all even though I thought like some of the aesthetics were I they were very like bright and like pulled you in, but um I thought it was weird and it also made complete sense from her in the cultural void. This is 2006. This is like we are still all kind of as a the societal conversation the like master narrative is that like war is good and imperialism is good in this moment and I'm not saying that she was trying to draw that out explicitly but she (laughs) was taking those aesthetics and being like yeah this is like fun you know this is like Rosie (laughs) it's like a Rosie the Riveter moment it's light it's light the problem is how do you besides besides the problem of glorifying imperialism the problem is how do you pivot away from an era of your career like largely defined by this kind of rosy the riveter song called Candyman which Peloton loves which is great it is it's very it's very up tempo i get that and ain't no other man mhm both of those also, songs are used a lot also extremely high energy, extremely up-tempo. What, like, what's next? So, like, I wouldn't know how to pivot from that. And what Christina does next is she puts out a 10-year anniversary album in 2008. And then goes from there. That's also hard to pivot from, I think. You're basically saying, like, look at all these different eras of my career. I am a I am a very established artist now. And then you have to do something else next. So this is the context in which Bionic enters the world. Here's what Christina said to Billboard about Bionic at the time. With this album, I wanted to go in a completely opposite direction, a very futuristic robotic sound and computer sounding vocals. I'm experimenting with my voice in ways I've never done before, almost like a technical computer generated sound, which is different for me because I've always been the type of vocalist that just belts. I'm always inspired by new things because I get bored. I I 100% believe that she gets bored and wants to pivot like that. 
but this reinvention didn't feel so genuine. And for me at the time, I just like, didn't really register it. I was like, I don't care. I do feel personally uncomfortable with like the concept of bionic Christina Aguilera and probably bionic anyone. And I don't know how you guys feel about it. I asked you to watch a video where they like ask her what bionic means. And I'm curious if you had any thoughts on that. And I can also recap what she says about it. Can you recap and also tell us why you feel uncomfortable with the concept of bionic Christina Aguilera? Because I probably agree with you 100%. Sure. Okay. So they ask her what bionic means when she's on kind of her press tour for it in June 2010. And she says, she's like, well, it's layered. And then then she says, she like gestures to the album art and she's like, you know, like the vocal cords, you could like see they're like robotic. And then she said, the other reasons for bionic are being excited about the future. which I don't know anyone, I don't know if anyone would like say that now, like, yeah, bionic is like, you know, it's like robotic. It's like, we're excited about the future. It's like, um, and then the other reason was that she had had a child between back to basics and bionic. And she was like, and women are just so strong and they're superhuman and they're basically bionic. Those were the layers. Do they come together for anyone? I don't know. I think the reason, I think that Christina has always just been like, she's always just been very intense to me. Her energy just seems very intense and um, that's completely fine. But just like, I don't know if we need, (laughs) I don't know if we need bionic anyone, let alone bionic Christina Aguilera. And I think the combination of like her energy and her vocals. Like we've all said at this point in the way that like she does have this very specific voice, very strong voice, very uh, based on a lot of people who really came before her and do not have this kind of like electronic sound at all that it's weird to see her kind of take it in this direction where she, her voice isn't as recognizable sometimes, but then it just is kind of weird to me. I don't know. What do you think? Does that make any sense? It it, it totally makes sense to me. And um, ultimately makes me feel a little sad because it feels like she, I mean, first of all, when you're, when you're coming out with albums and you are at this level of fame, like you, you have to try some things and those things aren't always going to work. And like, that's fine. And you know, I, it's not a huge, like moral failing on her part, but definitely like, there's and we'll talk about this with witness there's like a desire to for her to kind of like project some sort of authenticity and meaning but doing that in a way that feels like this this feels furthest away from like her true self of any album that she's created and of course that's not atypical for um pop artists but you do want to believe that with each album pop stars get closer and closer to their like true selves like that's of course the platonic ideal of someone's you know album that comes out 10 years after they were a teenager just trying to find their way in Hollywood you want to believe they're at a place that's like really rooted in who they really are and that's not what this is yeah and it's going it's very 
totally all of that. And it's very like, I don't know. It's like she's trying to jump kind of like almost 80 years. Like she went far into the past and now she's trying to go into the future. She's like, I did the past. So now let me do the future. But it's like, if you don't have like a concept for the future, aside from like artificial intelligence, then I don't know. Okay. So here are some more maybe concrete threads to pull at as to why this was a flop. Um, and, and please feel free to jump in at any point because I had you listen to kind of like samples of the different vibes that are present on this album. So sonically, this album is particularly confusing to me. Um, I, and I think that's true of a lot of cult albums and also flops. The structure is really interesting. It's very like pieced together in sections organized around intros for the most part, which I, th- I think is pretty creative. Um, and you'll see that if you look at the track list. But the first half is literally futuristic club bangers like Bionic, Not Myself Tonight, Woohoo, Elastic Love. And the second half is mostly like beautiful ballads. Lift me up, all I need, I am, you lost me. And then even then the ballads are followed by songs like there's one called I Hate Boys that sounds like it was written by a bot. Like it sounds like it was computer generated lyrically and and sonically. Um, And sometimes, especially not in the ballad, like in the ballads, it sounds like Christina. In the other songs, her voice is modified so much that to me, it's unrecognizable, which is new for her. And I think like maybe going a little too far unless that's really what she wants to do. But I think it's disorienting because I think her voice is what has made all the other eras much more cohesive. So there's a lot to like sonically, but it's also like basically a recipe for whatever the opposite of a no skips album is. And the deluxe album is almost an hour and a half long, which is like way too much. Do you guys have any more thoughts from the songs that you sampled? I like didn't even know this album came out in 2010. I have no remembrance of it, which in my mind is a skip album, which is sad because I would consider myself a fan of Christina Aguilera. I just, if you had told me that she stopped making music after her 10 year anniversary album, I'd have been like, yeah, I don't, I can't name you a song that came out after that. Yeah. I thought that, um, when we were going to go back and listen to Bionic, I would, um, have the experience. I have a lot of times where I say, Oh, that's the album with this, that, that song. I'm sure I heard one or more of these songs at some point, but I, I didn't remember a single one. Like I seriously didn't. Um, and, and the ones that we listened to, to discuss, um, yeah, the, I actually didn't hate the ballad lift me up. Um, and of course, I think that she is so good at that. And then the one that was really kind of um, very electronic and very robot-y um, that we listened to, Elastic Love, I didn't finish listening to it. <laughs> I didn't. Same. Maybe I should have. No, I like was like, what? yeah. No, I think it's all, I think it, you get the gist of it after like probably 30 seconds or so. And that. actually, I understand what I think she thought she was doing was what we'll talk about next, which is I think she thought she was doing her version of what was 
um, just a trend, a, a sonic musical and aesthetic trend um, kind of led in led in large part by this emerging up and comer Lady Gaga, which I know you want us to discuss all those similarities as well. And I heard that. I feel like I understood what the producers were trying to do, but it's hard to replicate for anyone. Okay. So the, yeah, the other main thing that kind of tanked this album, I would say, is the visual and like kind of more aesthetic comparisons with Lady Gaga, but also the the sonic ones. Um, so this electropop sound that shows up on Bionic was like relatively new to Christina and to most of us, I would say. And we we see it kind of all the we've seen like full evolutions of it. But at the time, you know, Lady Gaga was kind of spearheading that moment in the late 2000s and we've seen so many reinventions of Lady Gaga now like she is always cycling through new distinctive looks and back then she was experiencing this meteoric rise and had this like very specific bleach blonde hair straight across bangs and then suddenly it was like that was exactly Christina's look too which is like very specific and something no one else was really doing And then beyond that, there were just a lot of similarities um, that seemed cohesive for Lady Gaga and her art and like seemed true to her as this new person to us and less so when Christina attempted it because we were like, we know Christina. (laughs) Do we? We don't. But we know that like she's been so many other things before she's like suddenly been this. So I think in part because Gaga was new to us and seemed so unique, we were like, this is who she is. And Christina's tendency to reinvent herself drastically with every major record, it just seemed like more calculated and more poorly executed at the same time. She wasn't new. This wasn't like her moment to innovate and the zeitgeist was over it and just kind of thought she was trend chasing. So despite all of this, they like, and again, we talked about feuds recently, episode 37, Christina and Lady Gaga never seem to have issues with each other. And in fact, they've since teamed up for other projects, but um, yeah, back then Lady Gaga diplomatically said that the comparisons really put her on the map. Oh, Becky, do you want to read these two? And I should be Lady Gaga. I'll be Christina's response. Perfect. Okay, I'm Lady Gaga. There are no hard feelings with Christina at all. What it showed me was, even though I've only been on the commercial market for seven or eight months, I've really burned graphic images of my visuals onto the irises of my fans. They saw a huge Grammy-winning star who's been around for years, and they recognized Lady Gaga. That, to me, is quite an accomplishment. I will say that's like a little, sorry. Actually, no, sorry, Becky. You, you do the response, because this is fun. And this is what Christina said when asked about Gaga. Oh, the newcomer. I think she's really fun to look at. But then later she had to qual. She had to clarify. I have absolutely nothing against Lady Gaga or any other female artist in this business. I think she is great. And I appreciate any woman fearless enough to go against the norm. She's earned her success with hard work and a clear focus. And I have nothing but respect for that. There is room for us on everyone's iPods. 
this is not the time, not the first time I have been unfairly pitted against another female artist, but it will be the last time I comment on the matter. I will say, even though Lady Gaga's um, response was like kind of silly, I actually, I thought, it, I thought it's a really classy, I think it's, I thought it was a really classy response or uh, classy response to the conversation. And Christina's wasn't initially classy, but I and uh, her publicist did a really great clarification. On the Clearly website. Christina was hurt. Um, and I understand if she knows like I'd been in this fucking business for like 15 years, like whatever. It must be hard to see someone get a lot of success for a type of music you're also trying to do. That's not you. And it's a really competitive and the music industry pits women against each other because that's what it's always done. And so she's, you know, like supposed to feel that way. So I don't blame Christina for those comments. Yes. I mean, she is a person despite being like, I am bionic now. (laughs) Um, I think where I am like really trying to toe the line here, because I don't really like think about Christina that often. And when I do I feel like sometimes I'm a little unfair to her as, as like a full, as a person who was like forged in the fires of like Britney versus Christina. And obviously like I'm a Britney person and I don't think that these people should be compared to each other in the way they are. That's kind of a big part of this going all the way back to Madonna. But I do also think that sometimes Christina can be hard to she can be hard to root for. Like, it's not that I would be ever rooting against her or anyone who's just a person, but she has this kind of like confidence, but you know, it's a veneer and like, she doesn't want to be vulnerable. And she does, she does have some interviews where she is, and it's really nice to see, but she's, she's not always, her first instinct is not always to be gracious. I don't think. And that is human for a lot of people, but. And I think she's been hurt by the industry too so many times. And so she probably has a lot of trust issues too. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I think to, I think going all the way back and she didn't have an easy childhood either, but going all the way back to being like, like second fiddle to Britney Spears when she didn't even want to be kind of doing the same thing um and everything that came with that in the industry I think is probably pretty rough to quote Olivia Rodrigo who am I if not exploited I think is probably how Christina (laughs) might operate Olivia Rodrigo quoting the subtext of Christina Aguilera's career (laughs) yeah so Christina ends up canceling the bionic tour in part from low ticket sales in part because she had to start promoting the movie Burlesque with Cher. Do you guys recall? I remember thinking that was incredible uh, when I saw the commercials. I never actually saw it. I um, feel and- like we should do some sort of movie night for Burlesque. I feel like I like yeah. I feel like I am. I believe myself to be the kind of person who has seen Burlesque, even though I have not. Yeah, I remember being like. I subscribe like I have not seen this I probably won't but like I subscribe to this art um and then she also had other things going on like she was going through a divorce she was raising kids 
And she has put out a couple more albums in the 2010s, but they, I get the sense they haven't really registered with me. And I get the sense that they haven't really registered with any of us. Um, And then she, apologies if you're listening and you're like, Lotus is my favorite album. I, just because it hasn't registered doesn't mean it's not great. But she's also sort of pivoted to the voice and these other projects kind of like beyond or outside of her catalog. She had a national anthem performance, which you can refer to on YouTube or episode 31 of this podcast shortly after Bionic that also sort of harpooned her, her public standing. So um, there's, there are a lot of different factors here, but a lot of people really love the Bionic era. And it was one of the first pop culture, like hashtag justice for moments on Twitter. And I do think we can consider some of the criticism aimed at it to be misogyny. And I felt the need to like reflect a little too and be like, is my feeling about Christina internalized misogyny? I don't know. You know, I think that comparison is rampant and it's ruthless when it comes to women, especially in the public eye, especially these pop stars, either, either comparisons to who they once were and like not being as great anymore or comparisons to their contemporaries. And a huge part of these are aesthetics, like the looks they turn that can help make or break an era and for Christina it goes all the way back to the Britney versus Christina comparisons and then it goes back to Madonna's blueprint of what it means to kind of be a dynamic long-standing pop star where you know it's reinvention is cool and it's definitely entertaining and I think that there's no need to like try to stop people if that's what they want to do and and natural everyone sort of like naturally evolves. Um, And there are a lot of positives to it, but it shouldn't be a requirement to do kind of like a total overhaul of your image every time, especially when it's hard to keep up with and it can seem kind of forced or stolen and it facilitates these kind of unnecessary comparisons that are meant to tear people down. So I think Christina is a big example of that, but I want to look something up real quick. Okay. I want to know what Christina Aguilera's star sign is. <laughs> Cause I think she's a Sag. <laughs> yeah, she's a Sag. Okay. So I remember, um, when we had, um, Miranda Fenneberger on one of the first episodes of the B-sides ever on, who's like an astrology guru. She was talking about how, um, Sagittarians are like really predisposed to reinvention. And she used Taylor Swift and Molly Cyrus, as two Sagittarian pop stars um, and who, as an example of that. And this is really interesting to me because it does, you know, many, many uh, pop stars, including the one we'll speak next about Katy Perry, use each album era as like a new, as an era, right? As like, this is my haircut for this era. This is my like vibe for this era. Um, and that must be quite like an unrelenting pressure But at the same time, it's very interesting to see those who feel like you don't always have to have a complete 180 reinvention. You don't have to go from the past to the opposite, the future. Like it can all be on a continuum. It can just, it can be a little more messy, but maybe actually, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a record label manager. Maybe actually the distinctiveness of each of them being really separate from each other 
is helpful overall. And, and then when you, when you have to keep forcing it, then I think you end up with something like bionic. Katy Perry's a Scorpio though. That's, that is something to think about. And her album cover is extremely Scorpio. Yeah. I was going to say, okay, so to put a pin in this, Brittany's also a Sagittarius. So I don't know if there's something in the water, but with Miley, I feel like she is actually like, like immune to her own reinventions. Like she just like barrels through them and it's fine. And it reminds me of the interview she did last year that I like thought about a lot after she did Um, these remarks she made where she was like, every night I say goodbye to myself because that person is gone. And every morning I wake up and I'm a different, she like dies every night. And then every morning she's like reborn as a new person. I was like, it seems like she really feels this way. And if so, that almost kind of explains in her attitude, the way she kind of just like barrels through these eras and like, it's fine. And she can kind of do whatever she wants at this point. So we're going to take a very quick break and then we will be back to talk about Scorpio, Katy Perry, known notorious Scorpio, Katy Perry and her album Witness. Happy almost birthday, Katy Perry. We are recording this on October 24th and her birthday is tomorrow, October 25th. Oh my goodness. Also my mom's birthday. Well, happy birthday, Emily. Yes. Two Scorpios. Happy birthday. You can have your birthday every day. <laughs> birthday by, I, I think it would be fair use if we put in birthday okay. by Katy Perry here. Even though so. it's not on the hit album Witness. I'm so no. sorry to Katy Perry to like critique her work so heavily, which I'm about to do on her almost birthday. So I'm sorry, Katy. I hope you don't listen to this episode. Okay, we're back. Um, and we're going to go through the second album of the episode that has a white background with a pop star looks kind of alien and creepy on the cover, which is Witness, Katy Perry's 2017 album. Um, we are going to do this in a much shorter way than we just went, um, in depth with bionic because not because there isn't a lot to say about witness actually, because the opposite, there is so much to say about witness. We've discovered that we're going to have, um, another episode coming out in the next few weeks that really continues the conversation about witness and really focuses specifically on the like problematic politics around it, because in this episode, we really want to focus on the like what it means when a pop star attempts reinvention and fails, in in our opinions. So that's what we're gonna do. So let's get into Witness. Witness is Katy Perry's first post-Trump, post-Women's March album. It comes after her 2013 album, Prism, which featured hits like Roar unconditionally and dark horse and it also has some of my favorite katie perry songs that are more kind of b-sides by the grace of god love me and walking on air um and then prism also had singles that weren't huge 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 
um, but were sing- singles like birthday, um, as we were just singing in preparation for Katy Perry's birthday, which is the week that we are recording this. And this is how we do. So those weren't like total nothings. Like they existed in the oh, world. It's, but- it's a no skips album. <laughs> People don't talk about Prism enough. It is, it's a no skips yeah? album. It's a no skips album for you. It's a, it's a great pop album. Yeah. Tell us more. What else do you like about it? She just like minus witness, I guess, but like she really knows how to make really good songs. She puts on a show, like the songs just have a constant feel good beat. And she has a, she's a good voice. I wouldn't say that I think she's one of the best singers of all time, but like she has a good enough voice that like carries all the songs and like she can do some ballads. Um, Waking up in Vegas is not on Prism, right? No, okay. No, that's no. one of my favorites. Um, it's two. um, I think it's on the uh, one earlier, right? Yeah, it's like on. It's not on Teenage Dream, but it's like Teenage Dream colon the that whatever. and um and uh, Wide Awake. Wide Awake is also one of the best pop songs. That could be one of my favorite Katy Perry songs. I love Wide Awake too. It's so good. It's off um Katy Perry, the Teenage Dream, the complete track. Don't you feel like that's, I would, I'm sure there's a way we could just Google the answer and find out. I feel like that album, the complete album, the the next version is the, is like what happens when you expect an album to be big, but then it's like way bigger than you ever expected. And you need to just re-release the whole thing with more songs because like, oh my God, this is a huge phenomenon. I mean, Teenage Dream is one of the best songs of all time. That, I mean, that album is a no skips album hundred yeah. percent and I think that is hard to to pivot from when like you say you reach this level of success that you never imagine so quickly um I yeah I also loved prism I was walking around in 2013 calling it like a dank pop album that is what I was saying I remember getting a I got my car which I still have um at that time. And I remember like telling people that I got this car that is from 2006, like my personality, but its favorite, its favorite artist is Katy Perry and its favorite album is Prism by Katy Perry. I just thought it was so good. All of the songs you mentioned, all of the, there are other ones like this moment and there are other songs towards the end of the album too, where it's like, there is something for everyone here. It is a cohesive sound. And it seemed like a very genuine move from her. Like it seemed like a very, gen- it seemed like a little more muted than her previous. Because you can't really get like louder than Teenage Dream was. But it was an interesting kind of transitional moment. Um, so, yeah. So I think we're sharing that to set the context and set the, set the scene, but also so that if there are Katie cats listening, you know, we do like a lot of Katy Perry songs. Um, I personally am just not sure how I feel about this, this next album witness. So now it's 2017. This is Katy Perry's fourth album and she's totally dominated the 2010s, right? This, this, you know, absolutely. It has been Katy Perry's radio and we're just listening to it. And I'm, I'm sure it's impossible to sustain this level of fame and success and dominance. Plus it's a Trump administration now. So, and of course, Katy Perry had um, 
had already been involved in politics in her own special way. She had campaigned for the Hillary campaign like quite seriously um, in the in the years leading up to the election. So Katy Perry is feeling the need to reinvent herself. She cuts her hair off and she bleaches it, which is, of course, a notorious marker for pop stars trying to enter a new phase. So I'm curious if if you, Becky and Mimi, have like other thoughts about why you think this would be a moment where Katy feels not just a need to like have a new era, as we've been discussing, but actually have a moment of reinvention. Like what else do you think she was trying to discover? You've just reminded me that this I think this came out in the spring of that year, like very new Trump times, which makes me think that it was probably being put together and produced before all that when things, you know, you you could say the writing was on the wall before the election happened, but things changed very quickly. And um, I wonder if she was actually maybe going for something different and then actually pivoted within her, like reinvented within her reinvention as Trump came into power. Um, I don't know. I think it's just always been really difficult. I just don't understand how you can pivot from her like biggest success, which is basically like Candyland aesthetic and hugely successful, great pop. But this this basically Candyland aesthetic is like the only way I know how to describe it. Um, and I don't really know how you pivot from that. I feel like she was on her way with Prism, just kind of like being a more muted version and kind of a little darker kind of changing direction. But beyond that, I I understand that she needed to do it because that that teenage dream moment is not like sustainable forever and it's not who she really is. But um, so that's my answer for like why she needs to reinvent herself is like the the next album cycle is coming and we're heading into the late 2010s and whatnot. But beyond that, I don't I don't know. I think important context when thinking about Katy Perry is I should note that my mom is a huge Katy Perry fan and it's also because they share a birthday. But I know this from my mom is that Katy Perry grew up in a really conservative Christian household and she like couldn't really listen to secular music and they like traveled all the time to like build churches. And I'm sure that probably influenced like how restrictive and probably led to how like creative and like didactic a lot of her like performances are. And so I think maybe like reinvention is like maybe wrapped up in that of being like able to express herself in so many ways because she wasn't as a child. So maybe it feels like more of a natural thing to her to be like, I'm, I try one thing. I'm going to try another because I can. And like, I'm thankful that I can do those things. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I think I'm on the same page with both of you on those, those observations. The album witness then comes out in yes, June, 2017. So late spring, early summer. And it's received with pretty mixed reviews. Um, Katy Perry at this time also is starting to name this like what she's calling a new genre or just a more specific genre, purposeful pop. And I've now listened to Witness a few times. It's, it's just pop. There's really nothing purposeful about it. Um, we'll get into that a little bit later and definitely in the, in the next um, version of this episode where we'll talk more about the politics behind that. 
So there was a review from Chris Richards in the Washington Post that I thought was really succinctly um, said, where Chris Richards writes, Perry sounds like she's trapped in a purgatory, pantomiming, pantomiming progress, giving an endless pep talk to her own reflection. And I think that really sounds right to me because the trapped in purgatory piece is like, it's really between a bunch of things without really being anything new or interesting. It's pantomiming progress because she's acting like it's very political, but there's really no substance there. And yeah, it's supposed to be very reflective, but it's really, if, if the songs and the songwriting process felt reflective to her, I don't think it showed very much in the final products. I think there's like, Three things specifically that Katy Perry really misunderstood in making witness that I'm just like, Katie, did no one focus group this with you? Number one, people have really mixed feelings about humans eating off of each other, specifically in like disgusting ways in the Bon Appetit music video, which was grotesque in a way that I know was on purpose, but like that is disgusting. Number two was cutting your hair short and bleaching it is actually not always a political statement and doesn't replace the need for like actual reflection and and an actual political analysis. And the third thing that she really misunderstood is that pop music fans do not like being subtweeted, which I think was really the message of change of the rhythm. It made it seem like the people who were listening to the song were the problem, which is like not an effective way of sharing political context. Do you all have things to say about those three pieces of Katy Perry misunderstandings. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, I'm not surprised. I think this is like a thing that a lot of, um, not that maybe Katy Perry is super connected to the world now that she's rich and famous, but, um, I don't think so. And I don't think she surrounds herself with the team. That's like maybe like the most plugged in or she doesn't listen to them or she doesn't really know like the real experiences of, um, everyday people. Yeah. I think all of this makes a lot of sense and and are things like that um seem maybe clearer to us but are are you know distinct things that that Katy Perry could have missed in 20 2017 or around that that time um it you know it wasn't a time of great judgment for a lot of people I would say and and she's included in that um and I do think as much as I, so as much as I like Prism, there is kind of a cannibal lyric in Dark Horse when Juicy J says, I think he says, she'll eat your heart out like Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay. And then on the next album, we're going to go further into like, to me, what, what constitutes cannibalism territory with Bon Appetit. I think I think this is like one of those songs that could be interpreted in a lot of different ways. But no matter how you interpret it, like the the surface level of it is a little bit grating no matter what. I looked up what this song is like supposed to be about to make sure I wasn't making assumptions. And I don't know if you guys saw that like Katy Perry said it's about how how do I even say this? how kind of like she's in control now after sort of being exploited like a woman exploited by men or whatever you know it's like she's controlling the narrative now or something like that which I don't really understand at all does anyone have thoughts on that 
I thought it was about sex. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean that in like a, and therefore it's not interesting way, but like, I'm very surprised to hear that subtext. Cause that's, if, right, that's, if that's the subtext of the song, it's like sub, 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 subtext. That's not what I picked up. That's what I thought too. I was like, is this just the obvious thing that I think it's about or. And also in the music video, like all of the, so it's like her and like all of these men and they're, she's like basting herself at one point, which I think is funny. And then he takes the baster away from her. All of the men are men of color. And then it's her is something I couldn't help but notice as well. And I don't understand the choice behind that either. Especially because at this point, and again, this is something we'll talk about in the next episode, she apparently had like done her work to understand the all the misfires that she's had around racism in her career so far. Um, and something else I just want to say that in, in our next episode, and then I'll stop teasing it, is um, I do want to actually like break down a lot of the songs. I have like a lot to say about how I think that the songs are just um, not that good, <laughs> but I think for now, um, we'll talk about the like publicity around the album. And I think the message she was trying to convey. So some of you may remember that part of what she came out with at the time with this album was a live stream of her life for, I think it was about four days, if I'm remembering correctly, where like her entire world, very big brothery was put on this live stream, um, it, the live stream did get like a lot of viewers. It was successful, I think, in that way. But I remember feeling like this should have been a bigger deal and it didn't like break through. And at this point, the B-Size had already started. Like I was like really trying to consume a lot of pop culture and I just, even more than I usually had. And I feel like I missed a lot. It didn't have a huge impact. Um, of course, it was like a commentary on overexposure and sort of the impossibility of knowing celebrities despite their presence in our lives. I feel like it got really close to having really interesting commentary about like parasocial relationships or the art versus the artist. But really at the end of the day, it landed as more of a stunt than a true concept piece. It was a lot of like other celebrities who are coming on and doing like silly games or things like that. She did have um, a, a live therapy session um, that was very telling. And I think really that was, did seem to be very honest. And we did learn a lot from her on that piece. And of course, to cut her some slack, I think, in terms of how hard this moment must have been for her, Katy Perry is really at a unique level of fame. Um, and we do talk about this sometimes on the podcast with Christina, we just did too. When you reach the level of fame that we're talking about here of a Katy Perry, of a Taylor Swift, of a Beyonce, of, a, of an Adele, you really are in uncharted territory because everybody else who's been there before has done it a little differently. Like at this point, you basically have gone past what a map could have a guide could have given you and of course like while I might argue that Beyonce and Taylor have more um depth and lasting power in some ways I think Katy Perry definitely might actually have more actual I'm sure we could just google this but feels to me as though she had more actual radio play and singles and just like ubiquity on our radios than almost anyone else at least since I have been like conscious I think she's one of the most famous pop stars like of our time. Yeah. There's a total, I, like literal world play, name, right? Yeah. And like world recognition. Yeah. I think so too. Right. So I don't blame her for literally not knowing what to do next. 
at this moment. She also around, at least like around the Prism era, had the most followers on Twitter of anyone, which is wild to think about now because it's true. Like no one, that that live stream was like wild that it happened, that four-day live stream. And mostly people didn't really care about it. And so it's like, it's wild how you can go from that level of ubiquity to people not really caring. I don't, I don't feel like people really talk about her now. It's so it's, it's interesting because some people reach that level and then it's like, they are permanent. I don't know if I want to say a list, but you know what I mean? They're like permanently at that level, which seems to be the case for Beyonce and Taylor and Adele and a lot of these people, but it's just not true for her but it is like I any step you take I think would be really scary at that point I totally agree I totally agree with that so then I think what we're seeing from her and witness and in the accompanying accompanying haircut the live stream just all the promo around it the her her saying this is purposeful pop is really this desire to like reach across this huge chasm between her and all of these other things, her and reality, her and her fans and reach for some sort of authenticity. That's what I'm perceiving from this. And I imagine that that's especially needed for her because she wants to kind of rise out of the artifice that was Katy Perry, Katy Perry, the celebrity. Um, And as Becca, you were alluding to, like Katy Perry isn't even her real name. It's very different from how she grew up. And she actually did say this during the live stream, during the therapy session, that cutting her hair was her way of getting back to Catherine Hudson, her, her given name, because she didn't want to look like Katy Perry anymore. Right. So that's like, this is complicated stuff. Um, and I'm sure that at, you know, up until then the wigs, the costumes, what she was really known for all of that was, was an artifice, which served her well, but I don't blame her for trying to be a little more, as Christina would say, stripped, stripped down. Um, I actually, when I was thinking about this, I remember the poster for her concert movie, which was called Part of Me. Um, it had like an image of two Katy Perry's. It was like a Katy Perry singing in a mirror. So it was one Katy Perry singing into the mirror and the other Katy Perry kind of in the mirror image. And on one side of the mirror is a superstar like dressed up in costume. And on the other side of the mirror, there was a stripped down like regular girl. It was all very Hannah Montana. So she's been trying to kind of like tell us about, you know, that she's feeling these dueling personalities within her. So, okay. Like we have a desire for authenticity. That's very clear, but then, you know, this isn't the first time we've asked this question on this podcast and it's not going to be the last, like, what is authenticity? What does that even mean? Um, because I, I might feel like even in some ways prism, which was still like of, you know, there wasn't a blue wig on it, but it was still of the, the, the familiar trajectory of Katy Perry's work was, it was quite authentic um, or to use different adjectives that are maybe more descriptive. It felt truthful. It's, it felt sincere, maybe even more so than the songs on witness. Um, I'm sure that she, that Katy Perry felt the songs on witness were very personal and I understand why she would feel that way, but they didn't teach me anything really meaningful about her. So uh, on this note, a little bit more, um, I would kind of, I wish I could ask Katy Perry more about the artifice of the Katy Perry persona and what it means for her to be stripped back down. Like I'm talking about the costumes and the wigs, because 
it's very possible for a wig to make you feel more like your authentic self, right? Even if your hair, even if it's like a, a, an unnatural color of hair, because I have a guess that especially in the early days of her rise to fame, standing out with pink wigs, with big costumes probably made her feel more like herself. Like this is who I am in, I mean, again, this is all speculation, but it's all a guess. So, which is of course all to say, you don't have to take away what others might perceive as artificial, like pink hair to then be more authentic. Like you don't have to do that. Sometimes it can work the other way. Right. And in some cases like these personas can definitely be authentic but then when I when I think of her and when I think of her kind of like growing out of the teenage dream moment I think of the moment in part of me which I made a lot of friends who would never want to watch it watch in like 20 whenever it came out 2012 2013 or so um where she is so like her husband Russell Brand has just dumped her via text message refer to the song ghost refer to our podcast on ghosts from two years ago. Um, and she has to go on stage and she like, can't get up. Like she's so heartbroken. And eventually she like gets up, gets dressed in the like kind of very ridiculous outfit. And she's like standing under the stage about to come up. And she's like, she, she just looks like so sad. And so like, she doesn't want to do this. And then her, the way the costume works, where like her breasts start, there's like pinwheels on them and they start turning and it's like the, the like costume is getting activated. And then she just like, she just like looks up and like paints a smile on her face and like stands up straight. And then she goes up to, to give the performance. Um, And I think it's the one that got away. And I just remember being like, this is nuts. Like this is, this seems really hard. And I think seeing moments like that were more revealing than anything that at least I saw too on witness or in the, in the witness era. Do you think that exists as a YouTube clip? Yeah, I think it does. Maybe we can link it in the description. Cause I haven't mm-hmm. seen that. Yeah. yeah, that's brutal. That's really brutal. And would definitely make me want to cut off my hair. Like I get it. I understand. I mean, I don't get it, but I understand like how she made the decisions she made that led her to this moment. And I feel bummed that that witness, I think as a body of work did not live up to what its message and goals were. Um, I think that there was just, it's, it's full of a lot of cliches. It's full of a lot of like pretty, um, I was going to say lazy songwriting. I don't mean lazy as in work wasn't put into it. I just mean like, it's, it's just, there's nothing that interesting about it. Um, and I hate to be the person, especially with Katy Perry comparing everything to Taylor Swift in life. But, um, I feel like for this, this conversation, like Taylor has shown that it's possible to teach something real about yourself through popular music that also hits close to home for others, even if it's very personal and really does convey like some truth. Um, Ariana Grande's done this, Beyonce's done this. And it's sad to me that this didn't happen in the way I think that it should have or could have on Witness. Um, I'm really curious if there are folks who are listening who are like Katie Cats, who are big, big fans of Katy Perry, who feel differently about Witness. I'd love to hear what you think, um, especially if you wanted to leave us a voicemail, which you can do because we will be, 
um, you know, we, we'll be doing another episode about this album and what it teaches us about when, when pop stars try to put politics and self-reflection all into one cauldron and stir that pot. So would love to hear your voicemails or any, any takes you have about this. Um, my experience was that the whole thing, the, the, wit- the witness moment had an aura of like an 18 year old who's going to a liberal arts college, like leaving home for the first time, they cut off their hair, they co-opt black culture in service of like a political analysis that isn't really fully formed yet. And they kind of say, you know, mainstream culture is boring and bad, even though they're like quite embedded in it. So that's really how it felt to me. Any other thoughts about witness from you all? I'm looking forward to spending a whole episode to talk about it. So I think I, I will leave the viewers wanting more. Yes. Perfect. Ditto. Looking forward to it. And again, transformations are just like Halloween costumes. You know, it can be great if you don't feel forced into it. The end. Okay. So I can't wait to discuss witness more next time, but for now we will say goodbye. So that's our show. It's not the end of the conversation, both in terms of we will be talking about this more, but we'd also like to hear what you all think. So yeah, let us know. And bye for now. Bye. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the B-Sides podcast. We want to connect with you. Check out the show notes to find our Instagram, Twitter, and join our Facebook group where you can link up with us and other progressives who love pop. Please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already. And consider supporting the B-Sides on Patreon. Until the next time we cut to the feeling, I'm Mimi. I'm Becky. I'm Hannah. 